Well, again, good morning and a happy Thanksgiving week to all of you. I got to tell you, it doesn't feel that much like Thanksgiving this year for me. Um, and I don't know, maybe it does for you. I have to say that given 2020, nothing really feels quite normal. But if there was ever a year that maybe we needed to think about gratitude, it, it might be this one. If there was ever a time that we might need to, to really take a, a hard look at what does it mean to be grateful and, and how can we be grateful people, this might be a time to do that. Because it's in the midst of, of, of the craziness, the stuff that, man, haunts us at night, <laughs> keeps us awake, that weighs heavily on our souls, both at large, but also just in our own lives. It's in those times that, that gratitude is, is so essential. It's so essential. You know, this year we're not going to um, uh, home for, for Thanksgiving. Normally this week we'd be getting ready to travel. We'd go up to Northwest Arkansas. That's where my, my parents are and my wife's parents are. And uh, we would get together with a family and uh, we would have one, if not two, maybe even three Thanksgiving meals because why have one? You know, we just have more. And, uh, you know, don't, don't count the calories. Just enjoy it for that moment. But, but part of that tradition that I love is that um, when the food is done, nobody moves. And we stay at the table, and then we go around, and everybody shares something that they're thankful for. And, and I got to tell you, this really began when I married into Carrie's family. And I got to tell you, I, it was not something I was really comfortable with to start with. I didn't really like the, the touchy-feely stuff. It was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Do we really have to do this? And, and even now, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to do this again. But I got to tell you, I love it. I love it. And I, I get to hear how people are thankful through, for things that I have never even heard of in their lives that are going on. And it's such a good exercise for me as well because it forces me to stop in that moment and to consider what I'm thankful for, to count my blessings. You know, gratitude is it's a powerful therapeutic, isn't it? It's something that in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can consider the things that we're grateful for and it can change our attitude, it can change our emotions, it can change the way that we see the world. In fact, an authority no less than Oprah Winfrey, who I knew you thought, you thought he's gonna talk about Oprah this morning. She has this to say about gratitude. Gratitude can transform any situation. It alters your vibration, moving you from negative energy to positive. It's the quickest, easiest, and most powerful way to affect change in your life. And I gotta tell you, that she's onto something. Gratitude is a powerful therapeutic. I, we, we do this with our kids. Okay, some of you've got kids. Um, sometimes one of my kids will come to me and life is terrible. You know, and they've got this list of everything that is going wrong. And dad, this is bad and this is bad and this isn't working and I can't do this. And, and it goes on. And, and at some point, Carrie or I will we'll stop them and say, hey, hold on, hold on just a second. Take a deep breath and tell me three things that you're thankful for. Why do we do that? Because... It's, 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 a therapy, it's a coping mechanism in a sense. I mean, in that moment, you stop and you go, okay, here's everything that was going wrong, but hey, look, look over here. There are some really beautiful things, things that I should be thankful for. It has the power, in a sense, to change our outlook, to change our perspective, to change even our attitude and how we see life. At least up to a point, up to a point. Because what about those times when life comes at you so hard and so fast that in the midst of it, you can't think of anything to be thankful for? Well, have you had moments like that? Maybe this year you've experienced some moments like that. 
when there's been something that has happened, maybe it's a tragedy, something that has, has wounded you so deeply that in those moments when you go and you try to count your blessings, you can't find any left. Or you can't think of any. Or the ones that you can count, they just, they just don't seem to weigh enough to ease the pain. What then? What then? Almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, he sat down and he wrote this letter to this church in Thessalonica. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians. This is the first letter that Paul wrote to this, this little church in this little place called Thessalonica. It was in Macedonia. It's the northern part of Greece today. And this was a, a very young church. Paul himself started it. You can go back to Acts and you can read some of the accounts uh, of how Paul went into this, this little town and, uh, and he, he sees converts. There are people who come to faith in Jesus Christ, both Jewish and Gentile. And, and this church is formed. This church is birthed out of, of Paul's work there and what God does. But it's not ha all happy sailing. There, there are those Jewish leaders in the area who, who are opposed to Paul's message about Jesus. And so they begin to persecute the congregation. And in fact, it gets to a point that Paul himself has to leave. He has to abandon ship, if you will. He has to move on. And he leaves this fledgling church in Thessalonica. And I know, imagine this for a moment. This is a brand new church. And churches are a brand new concept. It's not like they've got history of churches to draw on. Hundreds of years of tradition. This is a church that just began. There's no network of churches. They're, they're by themselves in so many ways just out there, and they're new believers, and they're facing persecution, and not only that, if you go back through 1 Thessalonians, and we're not gonna be able to trace this all through there, but they're wrestling through theology, they're wrestling through doctrine, but also they've got some within the faith who die. And so they're, Paul, what is going on? Like, you, you're not here anymore, we believe in Jesus, we've accepted the gospel, but these are not exactly ideal circumstances. And so Paul and scholars think that he's writing even just a few months later after he's left. Just a few months later, Paul says, I'm going to write a letter back to this church. And he writes them knowing their circumstances, he knows their situation. And yet even though he knows how difficult, how challenging, and how heartbreaking so much of their situation is, you know what he tells them? If you read through it, I mean, he gives them instruction, he gives them encouragement, he gives them exhortation, he gives them all this, and yet when he gets to the end, you know what he says? He says, be thankful. But when Paul says be thankful, as we're gonna see, he's not saying alter your vibrations. He's not saying count your blessings, no, no. What Paul has to say here is on the one hand, it is, it is, much, it is much harder to accept it's a much more difficult pill to swallow and yet is also far deeper and far stronger than just changing your energy. So let's look at this together. This is in 1 Thessalonians 5 and we're just going to look at one verse this morning. One verse. This is what Paul says to them. He says, Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Now, in the context, this is actually one of three imperatives that Paul gives to them. He says, be joyful always, pray continually, and then give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I would love to have the time to unpack how these three are interwoven together, because it's, it's beautiful. Another day, another sermon. But for this morning, we're talking about gratitude, and I think what Paul has to say here is so profound, it's worth taking time just with this one verse. But what we're going to do, we're going to take it phrase by phrase, okay? Everybody with me? Buckle up. Here we go. So here's what he says. Let's read it again. Give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, stop there. Hold on. Paul, you know what they're going through, right? You just said, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul, do you know what the church is experiencing right now? You know the heartache that they have? You know the difficulty, the persecution that they're facing. Paul, Paul, why would you say that to them? Paul, do you understand how difficult life could be? Paul, do you understand how difficult our lives can be? Of course, if you know Paul's story, you understand that he knows exactly how difficult, how hard and painful life can be. Here's a man who faces intense persecution. Here's a man who was beaten, he was flogged, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he was snake bit, and eventually he was beheaded all for the cause of Christ. So So Paul gets it, right? Paul understands suffering, he understands pain, and yet still he says, give thanks in all circumstances. It's one of those, those statements that doesn't even make sense. It almost sounds cruel. Why would you tell someone that? Yeah, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. So maybe, maybe Paul's exaggerating. You know? I mean, maybe Paul is thinking, okay, you know what? I just want you in general to be grateful. So I'll just say in all circumstances, but I mean, I don't really mean all circumstances. Just be grateful for all the good stuff. I don't think so. See, Paul's language here, it's, it's far too precise. Do you see that? I mean, he's very specific. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You don't throw around God's will lightly. You don't round it off. He's being very precise here. He's not exaggerating. So maybe he's just crazy. I mean, listen, you got to be a little crazy to think that you should give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy to give thanks when you lose your job? Wouldn't it be a little crazy to give thanks when your marriage fails? Or when someone you love dies? I mean, that, maybe Paul's, in fact, that's not even crazy. That almost sounds evil. What is Paul saying here? Can I tell you what I think Paul's doing here? I think he is being incredibly careful with his language. I think he is being incredibly precise with his language, and that he is walking a very fine and yet very profound line. Because if you look at what he says, he says, be thankful, give thanks in all circumstances without ever saying that those circumstances are good. You see the difference? I'm gonna give thanks in all circumstances without ever saying those circumstances are in and of themselves good because not all circumstances are good. Uh, George Matheson was a a Scottish minister and he was a hymn writer. By the time he was 18, he was basically blind. There's nothing good about those circumstances and this is what he writes about his blindness. He says, my God, I have never thanked you for my thorn. I've thanked you a thousand times for my roses but never once for my thorn. I have been looking forward to a world 
where I shall get compensation for my cross as itself a present glory. In other words, he says, I look forward to the time when, God, you're going to reward me for having carried this cross, for having dealt with this thorn. Someday you're going to reward me, but, he says, teach me the glory of my cross. Teach me the value of my thorn. Show me that I have climbed to you by the path of pain. Show me that my tears have made my rainbow. See, what Matheson is saying is that he can be thankful even for his thorn without ever saying that his thorn is good. He can be thankful for his thorn because he understands that God is using and God has used and God will continue to use even his blindness, his thorn, to bless him for his good, even when he doesn't see it, even when he can't understand it. So God, teach me to be thankful for my thorn without ever saying the thorn's great. Of course, he's getting this from the Apostle Paul. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul uh, talks about how God gives him a thorn, a thorn in the flesh, right? It's where we get this, this thought of the thorn in the side, the, you know, the thorn you can't get rid of. And he prays to God. He says, God, please remove this thorn. This thorn hurts. This thorn is painful. God, please take this thorn away from me. And God, what does he say? No. God says, no. My grace is sufficient for you. And what you understand when you, when you read the, in context is that Paul, he says, look, I have been getting these, these ecstatic visions. Paul had been having these amazing spiritual revelations that God had been giving to him. And he, and he recognized that if I get these kind of visions that I might start thinking pretty, I'm pretty amazing. I might start thinking pretty highly of myself because I am seeing things that no one else sees, that no one else can possibly imagine. Like how incredible it is that I get to have these visions. And so God gives him a thorn, allows this thorn in his life to keep him humble. It's for his good. It's for his best. And yet Paul never says that the thorn itself is good. In fact, if you read it, he says that the thorn is a satanic instrument. It's evil. And yet, he has such confidence in God that he can say, God is gonna use this. God has used this for my good. See, God, Paul is directing his gratitude towards a God who he knows so well. He knows so well. And so here, when Paul says, give thanks, in his mind, this this gratitude isn't to no one. It is to a God who is both powerful and good. See, he's got to be both. To pray to God like this, God has to be both powerful and good. If he's good but not powerful, then it's nice that he likes you and he's good. So, I mean, he would try to help you out if he could, but there's nothing you can do about it. But if he's only powerful, then who knows what he's going to do? I mean, he could use your thorn in a good way. He could alter your circumstances or use them in your life in some way, but you don't know if he will. See, God has to be both powerful and good. And so what Paul says here, when he says, give thanks, in his mind, this is directed towards a God who is both powerful enough to fashion even your tears into rainbows and good enough that you know one day you will. You see how powerful that is. Now, this is so different. I gotta tell you, this is so different than the way we, we commonly hear about gratitude today. I mean, I read you the quote from Oprah. I don't mean to beat on Oprah. Um, she'll never hear this sermon, so I feel safe. Um, and she's not, she's not totally wrong, but there's just, it's a, such a, a, a superficial concept of gratitude. 
But oftentimes the way we think about gratitude, we talk about feeling grateful and, and counting our blessings. That's wonderful. But oftentimes it, it doesn't even, we, who it's directed towards doesn't even factor into the equation. I mean, you might sit around your Thanksgiving table and just say, what are you thankful for without ever saying who you are thankful to? Uh, a few years ago, I was listening to a, an interview with uh, a fairly prominent, very self-outspoken, self-proclaimed atheist. And she was talking about how she, um, in, in the course of the interview, what some of her life was like, you know? And so they talked about some of her beliefs and some of her thoughts and arguments and so forth. But then they were just talking about how she lives in light of the fact that she doesn't believe in a God. And she said, well, you know, one thing that is absolutely essential to me is that I get up every day and I spend time in gratitude. Like I have to, I have to make sure it's crucial for me, right, to change that negative energy into positive energy, to alter my vibrations, to spend time reflecting on all that I have to be grateful for. I have to spend time in gratitude. And the interviewer said, who are you grateful to? And she basically said, it doesn't matter. The universe, whatever force is out there, whatever you think it is or whatever it is, not a personal God, but maybe it's just the universe. All that matters is that you feel grateful. You feel gratitude. But the universe does not care that you feel thankful. The universe does not care that you exist the universe doesn't care that you're struggling or that you're doing great and the universe isn't gonna do anything to change it. The universe doesn't give any kind of thought to you. And not only that, but the feelings of gratitude that you might be able to conjure up in yourself, those good vibrations, that's great, I'm glad that you feel better, but understand, your, your good vibrations, they are not going to change your life, not really. They can change your attitude towards life and you can use that in some way. But understand, like, it's not gonna save your job. It's not gonna save your marriage. It's not gonna keep you from financial ruin. I don't care how positive your vibrations are. And it's not gonna raise the dead. See, when we give thanks to a God who is powerful and good, we're not giving thanks to an impersonal universe who doesn't care about you at all. No, we are giving thanks to a very personal God who knows you and who created the universe. We're giving thanks to the only one who actually has the power to do something about your circumstances and who's good enough that he will. All right. Give thanks in all circumstances. Let's read the next part. For this is God's will for you. Now, in our English translations, it, it almost sounds like Paul could be saying, give thanks for your circumstances because those circumstances are God's will for your life. But that's actually not what he's saying here. If you understand, uh, New Testament scholars are pretty much unanimously in agreement here that the, the Greek structure of this sentence, Paul is referring clearly to the act of giving thanks, Okay. So when he says, give thanks for this is God's will for you, he's saying, it's the act of giving thanks that's God's will. God wants you to give thanks. God desires you to give thanks. God wants you to be grateful. Now, in, in Paul's day, it was very common for people to give thanks to the gods and the goddesses of their day. Okay, within the practice of cultic religious worship, 
Um, people would oftentimes, very, very common, they would bring offerings and sacrifices. They'd bring them to the gods and the goddesses. And, and they were even understood. They were even labeled. If you go back and look at the literature, they were even understood as offerings of thanksgiving, sacrifices of thanksgiving, of gratitude to these gods. And so you'd bring them and say, oh, you know, God of whatever, I'm so grateful that you have done this. Thank you for doing this and so forth. But understand that the relationship with, between people and gods and goddesses, deities as they were understood is, is completely different from what Paul's talking about here. See, they understood that it was, listen, the will of the gods that they would bring those offerings of sacrifices, okay? It was their God's will, that's what they desired, for them to bring these offerings of sacrifices as offerings of gratitude, but they weren't really gratitude. It wasn't really about thanksgiving because the gods didn't care about you. The gods don't, didn't care about you at all. They were fickle. You never knew if they were gonna bless you or curse you. You never knew what was gonna happen. And so when you brought those offerings and sacrifices out of gratitude, what you were really trying to do is appease them. You're trying to make them happy. You're trying to make sure that they would keep giving you the blessings that you wanted and they wouldn't take away the blessings that you needed. God didn't care about you. You were just trying to, to, to grease the wheels, trying to make sure that, that you stayed on their good side. We would never try to do that with God, would we? No, no, heavens. We've never had a thought like that. There's never been a time that we've thought, oh my goodness, I had better say thank you to God because otherwise something bad might happen to me. I've never thought, oh man, I'm so grateful that I got this promotion. I better thank God or I might lose it. We've never thought, I know, because we're Christians. We go to church. We've never thought, oh man, I had better make sure that I do the right thing. Otherwise God might withhold something. God might turn on me. God might punish me. See, we do the same thing, don't we? There, there's something deep, lodged deep in our minds and our psyche that we think we've got to somehow appease God. Well, I've got to do the right thing and then God will, will bless me. I've got, to, I've got to say thank you. I've got to be polite. I need to say please and thank you and be respectful. I do all of those things and then I will stay on God's good side and he will continue to bless me and my kids will stay healthy and my job will keep working out and so forth, right? See, it's, it's lodged in there deep. It's lodged in there deep. And by the way, you don't even have to believe in God to think like this. Um, if, you, if you have ever thought about karma, if you believe in karma, you're basically saying the same thing. I'm gonna do the right thing so the good things happen to me. It's the same idea. See, it doesn't matter whether you're trying to negotiate with God or you're trying to negotiate with the universe. It's the same transactional relationship. I will do this, and then you will bless me like this, and then everything's okay, right? See, the reason that we do this is because people haven't changed. In thousands and thousands and thousands of years, we're still the same. We are still selfish. We are still self-absorbed. We're still looking out for ourselves before anything else. And so even in uh, our, our best relationships, as, as much as we try not to, uh, somehow deep in there creeps this idea that, that you provide value for my life and therefore I, provide, I will provide value for your life and that's how our relationship works. And so long as you provide value for my life, then we'll continue to have this relationship. And we see this in business all the time. We see this within the church all the time. We're certainly not above that. 
I see this with, with uh, I'll just throw pastors under the bus. I see this with pastors all the time. Once your church gets to be a large enough size, other pastors don't talk to you anymore or the other way around. Yours gets to be bigger, you don't talk to those other pastors, right? We do this all the time. It is part of, part of our sinful human nature that we, we use other people and we think that that's how God treats us. We think that God gives and receives in the same way that we do. And so I scratch your back, you scratch mine, and we think, well, this is how we're gonna do this with God. I'm gonna give God thanks that he desires. He wants me to give gratitude, so I'll give gratitude, and then he'll supply me with blessings. But God is not like us. Because, see, I need you. And we need each other. God doesn't need any of us. There's nothing we supply to God that he needs. He doesn't need our gratitude. He's not built up by our gratitude. We can't obligate God in any way so that he has to bless us or needs to bless us. Whatever God does, God does because he chooses to. Which means that we can't appease God. We can't manipulate God. That's what they were trying to do. Those, those, with those ancient gods and goddesses, they were trying to manipulate. If we, if we do this, then they will bless us like this. But see, we can't treat God like that. We can try but we can't give God positive reinforcement like he's a dog we're trying to train. A hey, good boy, here, have a treat. See, now you, now you did the right thing. We can't treat God like that. We can try, but God is not, you can't train God. And God doesn't need us, which means that God is absolutely free. He will do what he chooses to do. Yes, God desires for us to give thanks, but he doesn't give us any promises out of that. He's not giving us any guarantees of how he will respond and what that will look like and that we can control him in that way. Okay, so, if, everybody with me so far? Okay, good. If Paul is not saying, give thanks to God and then he'll bless you. Give thanks to God and then you'll make him happy and then he'll do whatever you want. Uh, he'll, he'll do whatever you want him to do. If, if that's not what he's saying, then why does he even talk about God's will? What is he, what is he getting at? Miroslav Volf is a um, Christian uh, theologian and thinker. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And he's got a book um, uh, called Free of Charge. And in it, he talks about God's commands, okay? And understand that God's commands, that is an expression of God's will. This is what God wills for you to do. These are his commands. And, and he says this about God's commands. He says they are, in a sense, rewards. And in the context, he uses it more like gifts. They are God's they are, in a sense, rewards, gifts, given not for God's sake, but for the sake of people's well-being. They are not arbitrary rules. They trace the way of life as distinct from the way of death. Did you hear that? God's commands are not arbitrary rules. Instead, they trace the way of life as distinct from the way of death. In other words, God's will, what he desires for us to do, what he wants for us to do, they might seem arbitrary to us, we might chafe against them, we might not like them, but they're actually expressions of God's love for us. Uh, when I was a youth pastor here at Grace Bible Church, many moons ago, um, every once in a while I'd have a student who'd come to me and they would say, my parents are being so horrible. You would not believe what my parents are doing to me. They won't let me do this or they're making me do this and they're so unreasonable and they're trying to what? Ruin my life. Some of you remember when you were teenagers. We all thought this way. We all thought this was how our parents were treating us. 
And so they come and they say, you, Lucas, you wouldn't believe how horrible and unfair and mean my parents are. They're trying to rule my life. They won't let me do this. They're making me do this. It's so horrible. I say, man, I hear you. Can I just, can I just raise a, a thought for you? Your parents love you more than you can possibly imagine. You can't even begin to fathom how much your parents love you because you're not a parent. You have no idea how deep their passion, their love, their desire for your good is. Now, can you imagine a world, just bear with me, imagine a world in which they might, just maybe, let's get creative, impose these restrictions on you in such a way that it could be, in their view, good for you because they love you. Is that possible? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's Every once in a while, one of them say, no, I don't see it. You're going to have to convince me. I say, okay, okay, okay. All right, let's try it this way then. Just for a moment, imagine, or let's, let's factor in the fact that you're how old? 15. Okay, 15, and your parents are how? Ancient. Let's just, let's just imagine, is it possible that maybe somewhere in the course of all those years between you that your parents would have learned something, experienced something that maybe, just maybe, they know something that you don't, and that just, I don't know, call me crazy, what they are doing to your life is actually out of love for you. Is that possible? See, we, God is dealing with us in the same way. God deals with us as a loving father. God comes alongside of us and he loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And so when God says, this is my will for you, that's not God flexing on us. He's not like, you're gonna do what I want. Yeah, no, this is a loving father who loves us more than we can possibly comprehend. And is it possible, just maybe, just maybe, that God knows something we don't? Is it possible that maybe what his will for us, while we might not like it all the time, is actually for our good? Is that possible? See, when we read these words, this is God's will for us, there's a part of us that we shift back into our teenage minds we think, this is not possible. God, God can't possibly be for our good. In fact, we, we start to think that God is against us at times. He's against my authentic self when he won't let me make the decisions I, I want or live the way that I want or do the things that I want. And this is the story of the prodigal son. We run away from God. We cast God off. And yet in the New Testament, what do we find? We find that God is our heavenly father. He is a father who loves us more than we can possibly begin to comprehend. And so when God says, this is my will for you, understand, this is an invitation. It's an invitation to experience life the way that it was always meant to be lived. Life as he always intended for us to experience it, to have it. This is God saying, listen, this is my will for you. This is my desire for you. This is my dream for you. If you could only understand if we could only see, if we could only see how God is taking those pieces of our lives, those hard parts of our lives, those moments that feel so difficult that we can't begin to see how God could possibly be involved in it, and we begin to see how he's stitching them together because he loves us. He desires our good. Um, some, some of you know that Carrie and I, we lived... Um, outside of Philadelphia for a few years. And if you go into Philadelphia, there's a place in uh, South Street 
a place called Magic, uh, excuse me, Philadelphia's Magic Gardens, and there's a mosaic there. In fact, I was talking to somebody in the first service and they'd actually seen it. Um, She grew up in Philadelphia. And there's a mosaic there that is uh, one of the most unique mosaics that you'll ever see. Uh, It was designed and created by a guy named Isaiah uh, Zagger, and he is an an eco-friendly artist, okay? And so he creates this mosaic, and it's out of a lot of the materials that you would expect. There's tiles, and there's um, you know, ceramic materials and pieces and, and plaster and all the rest of it. But what he mainly uses, what he's used, is recycled materials. And so it's got bottles and cans and uh, bicycle tires and pieces of metal and scraps and all this stuff, and it's all built into it. Now, if you go there, if you go right up to it close and you look at just what's right in front of you, you know what it looks like? It looks like trash. <laughs> because it is, literally. And you're standing right there and you go, look, it's a, it's a bottle can. You know, it's, 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 it's a piece of a bicycle tire, rusted. Like, it's, it looks like trash because it is trash. But as you begin to step back, suddenly the trash begins to make sense. You begin to see the bigger picture. And if you step far enough back, you begin to see the whole thing in all of its unique, very modern beauty. Probably not for everyone's taste, but it is a piece of art. Some of us, we have pieces in our lives, those circumstances that we're supposed to give thanks in all of those circumstances. Some of us have some of those circumstances that they, and they feel like trash. And they feel ugly and they feel like something that we would never want and no one should ever want. We wish we'd never had them. And so long as we are right here, especially when you're in the midst of it, all you can see is that it looks really ugly and it it, it looks like trash. But given time and given perspective, we begin to step back and we begin to see maybe, maybe, maybe how God has begun to reshape that and to remake it. Here's the trick. You'll never see the whole piece until your life is complete. Which means here's the question, okay? Here's the question. God is powerful and he's good. Sure. But how do we know, how can we know that God is actually at work sculpting our lives like that? How do we know that God is actually at work taking even our tears and, and making them into rainbows? How can we know that God is actually doing that? Is it even possible to know? Last week, my wife uh, overheard a conversation between my uh, three-year-old daughter, who's a little precocious, and uh, my five-year-old. And they were online doing a Bible class together. And uh, she couldn't remember exactly what the question was, but it was some of, you know, it's a, it's a three- and five-year-old level question. It was something like, you know, what did Noah build? And so my five-year-old, of course, he knows the answer, and so he answers the question, and he's, of course, correct. And my three-year-old daughter, though, she objects. She says, no, the answer is Jesus. (laughs) I told Carrie, we have trained her well. And no matter how much he kept arguing with her, he says, no, it's, you know, it's an ark, or whatever the answer was. No, it's not. She kept saying, no, the answer is Jesus. Let me ask you, how can you know that God is powerful and good, but he is actually at work in your life, that that it's not just theoretical? How can you know? The answer is Jesus. 
The answer is Jesus. And this is the end of the verse. See, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. He is inviting you into a life of flourishing. He is inviting you to a life of fullness for you in Christ Jesus. See, it all hangs on Jesus. See, without Jesus, this is all hypothetical. It's all theoretical. We hope that God is powerful and good, but we don't really know. I mean, maybe God is for us, but maybe God is just toying with us. Maybe he's just setting us up for failure, setting us up where he can really bring the hand. We don't know. It's all theoretical, but Jesus, listen to me, Jesus, he removes all doubt. See, listen, when we were having our worst day, the worst of all possible circumstances, when we were eternally separated from God because of sin, sin in our own hearts, and it created a chasm and separated us from God eternally in a way that we could not possibly get back to God. This is a chasm that you and I could, we can't even begin to fathom the magnitude of this chasm. It's like, it's like the cosmos itself being ripped apart. When we were separated from a holy and righteous and just God because of our sin, he could not allow us into his presence. Do you know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't sidle up alongside us and say, hey, listen, um, think good thoughts. Be thankful. You'll feel better. He didn't say that. He didn't come alongside us and say, you know what? Alter your vibrations. Change that energy from negative to positive and then everything will feel better and, and it'll be fine. He, he didn't say that to us. You know what else he didn't say? He didn't say, you can do it. You can do it. I know it looks like a big chasm, but just get across there. Save yourselves. Suck it up. You can do it. He didn't say that because we couldn't. And so Jesus did it for us. Jesus did what you and I could never do for ourselves. Jesus took the death that we deserved upon himself. He took all of the sin and the sorrow and the shame and he took it all upon himself so that we could have his life. We could have the life that only he was worthy of. And when you know, listen, when you know that Jesus loves you like that, when you know that Jesus gave his life for you like that, sacrificed like that for you, then you can know, you can know with absolute certainty that you have a love that you are loved with a love that will never fade, that will never give up, that will never let you go. Not because you appeased God, not because you, you said thank you in the right way, not because you were special and you were able to do something to make God happy, not because you had good vibrations, but because, just because he loves you. And when you know Jesus loves you like that, when you know that God loves you like that, this is what's incredible. You actually can give thanks in all circumstances. You really can. Some of you, you've experienced pain that I can't even begin to imagine. Some of you are going through things that, that I don't know about. Some of you are going through things I do know about. It's incredibly painful. There's a depth of hurt. And maybe not today, but over time, as the truth of, of God's love sinks deep into your soul, that it is possible that maybe with a halting speech, maybe you can barely even squeak out the words, maybe it's something you pray purely in faith, you can actually say, God, thank you, because you are powerful and you are good 
and I know you love me. And you know what's incredible? It really will alter your vibrations. It really will change you. Not, not in a therapeutic exercise sort of way, but much deeper than that. That is a gratitude that is imprinted upon your soul. That is a gratitude that rests in the confidence that here is a God who can take even your thorns and turn them into roses. Um, there's a, uh, at the end of uh, The Lord of the Rings, not the movies, but the books, um, in The Return of the King, there's a, a, a beautiful part where, where the, the, the hobbits are all reunited, okay? If you don't know Lord of the Rings, just bear with me. I'll get through this quickly. Um, someone's saying they're nerd. Um, but there's a beautiful scene where Samwise Gamgee is uh, reunited with the other hobbits, and, and when everything had seemed lost, suddenly now everything is, is, is being restored, it's being redeemed. There's victory. And he sees Gandalf, and Gandalf has been dead, as far as he knew, and yet here Gandalf is alive. He's come back to life, and Samwise, he looks around at the world that he doesn't even recognize because things are being restored. Things are blooming again. Spring has come. And he says, what is happening with the world? Is everything sad coming untrue? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is. There will come a time you'll see with no more tears when love will not break your heart but dismiss your fears. Get over your hill and see what you find. Grace in your hearts and flowers in your hair. One day, the kingdom will come and there will be no more pain, no more illness, no more disease, no more brokenness, broken relationships, no more loss. And we will wake up to discover that all of our tears have been fashioned into rainbows. How grateful are you this morning? If that's your story, how grateful are you this morning? Do you have that kind of gratitude? The kind of gratitude that is only available when you understand how God loves you. That he is powerful and he is good and he is for you and he loves you in a way that you can't imagine. Do you have that kind of gratitude this morning? The kind of gratitude that can stand up to whatever life throws at you. I hope you do. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we, um, we are grateful to you. And that's not just lip service, that's not just something we say, we're grateful because we know the truth. We know that you are powerful and that you are good. We know that in Jesus, we have definitive proof that you are for us. Lord, if, if you were willing to sacrifice that much for us, if you were willing to give up that much for us, then why on earth would we think that you would allow a disease or a failed relationship or, or a career ruin even, or even death to have the final word in our lives? No. You have told us that you have something much better planned 
that you are sculpting something extraordinary out of all of our lives. And because we know that, we can give you thanks. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. All of our hallelujahs and all of our praise go to you. Amen.